Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. We had a very interesting class yesterday. And if you weren't there, it was about compassion and how compassion is really the antidote to racism. Because when you're compassionate, you are aware of and feel the suffering of others. That's what compassionate people do. Okay, hold on. We're going to plug this in for your transcendental hearing pleasure. So we had a long discussion about this and the <laughs> the need for devotees to develop more compassion and to be aware of any tendencies that they have towards discrimination and bias and so forth. So it was a very interesting discussion. I don't know if you still have questions or comments that are left over from that class, because if you do, then just put them up there now. This morning I was hearing from Srila Prabhupada, which you should all do every day. Um, if It will help you tremendously. Even Sometimes even it's only, like this morning was maybe 20 minutes, but most of Prabhupada's classes are, are only 30 minutes. And he was mentioning, I actually heard two different classes, and he was mentioning that iti shushu madiranam, or uh, sometimes in Shastra it says, shushu, we have heard. And we have heard means we have heard from the authorities, who are the authorities, well, the realized souls, or the scripture. And Prabhupada was saying, the scientists, they want to see, they want to learn everything by seeing. But the Vedic way is to learn everything by hearing from those who can see, because we can't see. So you, tadbidi pranipatena, you surrender to someone who has seen tadbidi pranipatena, upadekshanti gyaninas tattva darshana. You, you surrender to a tattva darshi, somebody who can see, because you can't see. And we're all trying to, you know, we're trying to understand everything by with our eyes, what Prabhupada was saying now. And it was a story about the Yamadudas and the Vishnudas, which we had discussed maybe a month or six weeks ago. And Yamadudas, they didn't know much. And they were quite surprised at what the Vishnudas knew. And it's like, well, how do you know this? And they said, we've heard it from authorities. That's how we know we've heard. So, you know, it's just amazing, amazing what you can know if you hear from the right person. So that's what we've been doing for the last few months. We've been hearing from Prabhupada, and it's been very enriching, I think, for all of us to be able to hear every day. So that's... That was just something. And then uh, a little a little interesting, maybe you could call this trivia. Hmm. Download yesterday's lesson. Oh, that's great. Um, planning to do that mini video. Oh, th fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'll make a note. Um, it's an important class. Uh, So, um, a godbrother of mine, Dasra Sutta, who's a very amazing musician and very intelligent and very witty, he had posted something of just as a matter of interest. I, I didn't know this, and, and no, actually nobody knew it. And he said that 
I don't know when this was. This had to be during the 60s. Paul McCartney was in, where was he? Arkansas. And Arkansas was the, this, maybe the center of racial discrimination. And he was resting or something and heard a lady screaming. And he got up and he saw the police were beating this black woman. And he thought, oh, my Govinda. No, he didn't think, oh, my Govinda. But he thought, oh, my God, she must be like this major serious serial killer criminal or must have done something horrible. And later he found out that she was sitting in a white area and the police were beating him, her because of that. And then he wrote a song called Blackbird. And probably many of you have heard the song. At least if you're my age, you've heard it. And if you like the Beatles, you've heard it. But I think probably it's one of his best songs, so probably a lot of people heard it. And the words are, Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take your broken wings and learn to fly. And it was about black people. He said, I want to do something, so I'll write this song to try to encourage black people. Don't let these people keep you down. Take your broken wings and learn to fly. Take, and then the next line was, take your broken eyes and learn to see. All your life you've been waiting for this moment to arrive. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. You know, nobody's hearing you. Take your broken wings and learn to fly. All your life you... So, um, I think it's, um, I think something we can learn from this is like, it's... You know the saying, absolute power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then one would think, well, as devotees, this doesn't affect us. But as you practice Krishna consciousness over time, you realize, yeah, we're very much affected by the modes of nature and we're affected. And those are the same modes that affect everyone. We have a process to transcend those or purify those. But in the in the process of transcending and purifying, we still get may get caught by the same things, the same contaminations that everyone gets caught by. So it's just something to be aware of, that as you evolve in Krishna consciousness, many of you will be given more authority and more power. And there is a tendency within the conditioned soul to exploit power. And so just be careful that, that as you're given power, you're only given more right to serve. That's, that's, at least as devotees, that's how we see it. The more power you're given, the more you need to have equal vision. The more you need to be thinking, I am servant. Because if not, that power can easily corrupt. And many of the groups that lack power, lack a voice. Because the groups that have power who may discriminate against them often don't want to hear from them. So, it's just something to be aware of. And, and when, you know, I think it's, it's super important when we speak about any problem, whether it's within ISKCON or outside of ISKCON or within the heart, whenever we speak about any problem, it's always important to ask, how am I or am I manifesting that problem? Because it's so easy when we talk about problems to think, well, it's out there. It's with this person or this government or this group. 
but that may be true to some degree, but it generally is not entirely true that it doesn't affect us, at least potentially. You might say, well, I don't think it affects me. Okay, then at least be aware that this is one of the contaminations in the material world that does affect many people and could potentially affect you, right? So I think that's important to always take it in and say, okay, what about me? Do I do that? Could I do that? Um, Yeah. Hare Krishna. So, I'm going to read your comments and questions and kind of finish up what we had discussed yesterday to see if there's any more discussion. Won't power be taken away from us if we don't use it properly? This is related to the idea that Krishna gives us wealth when we are spiritually mature enough to use it. That's true. But what I've seen, this is important. We last night, last night we're having a discussion in our class in Spanish. Well, of course, the class isn't entirely in Spanish because it's translated. So I speak English. So if you don't speak Spanish, you can also attend those classes every Tuesday, seven Eastern Standard Time. We're having a discussion about something similar, and. And one of the things that we see in in this regard is that sometimes when we're, you could say, in the process of becoming pure, we Krishna allows us to continue, let's say in, in this case, in a position of power. So you're given authority. You're a good devotee, you're enthusiastic, you set a good example. Okay, why don't you be temple president? So you're given the temple president's position. But at the same time, because you're not a pure devotee, there's some tendency still left to misuse your position, to in some way take advantage of it, discriminate against certain people. And a lot of this may be unconscious. It's just programmed. You're not even aware you're doing it. So that's also possible. And some of it may be more conscious, or at least it may be coming from the wrong place. Sometimes you do the wrong thing, but it's coming from the right place. You just, you're ignorant, or you're unaware. And sometimes you do the wrong thing because you want to control, right? So what I have seen is that Krishna allows you to stay in that position and gives you the opportunity to rectify yourself. He doesn't just kick you out on the first day. Oh, I see your nature. It's all coming out now. So we're going to kick you out. But he gives you the opportunity to purify yourself. And as you go on and and develop the right mentality, become purified, you become more effective. But if you go on for a certain period of time, and rather than improve, you get worse, then I've seen Krishna says, there's like a certain threshold where Krishna says, okay, this is Neither good for you, neither good for the devotees. And so, uh, oftentimes Krishna will, will let you hang yourself, basically. And, and you might say, why would Krishna let you hang yourself? And the ultimate answer is, only because we want to. And secondly, only because we'll learn. But I've also seen that some devotees have hung themselves, but they were too proud to learn. 
and they were kind of blaming the institution for their for hanging themselves so there was one such devotee he was quite a big leader in our movement and i was speaking about him with another godbrother that knew him well and worked with him i said so do you think that in this life he'll come around and he said i don't think in this life he'll get the lesson i think it's going to take him longer so some of us you know make a mistake and immediately we get the lesson isn't it and some it takes a while have you ever like finally got the lesson it might have taken you years and and some of us are still we're kind of getting the lesson but we're a little bit stubborn so maybe we don't want to confront it or admit it and i think some of us may not get the lesson and we may have to come back so Krishna is interacting with us in different ways because we're different and interacting both in what's beneficial for us and also what we want. And if we want something, if we really strongly want it, Krishna ultimately will not interfere. If you want something, but you're always praying to Krishna, if I want it, don't give it to me. Please <coughs> do something to interfere with my independence, and Krishna will. When you're about to touch the fire, you'll slip on a banana peel. And you know, you'll bruise your hand, but that's better than better than putting your hand in the fire. And I'm sure you've had that experience, right? You ever had you're about to do something which in retrospect you realize you shouldn't have done. And Krishna somehow or other prevented that. That's because of your sincerity. He'll do that. But if you're determined, then he'll say, okay, then do it. And hopefully you'll learn, and hopefully you'll learn quick. And even in, even in the world of self-development, they have a philosophy that if you make a mistake, learn right away. Learn, learn quickly. Don't keep making that same mistake. And you have to try new things, and if you try new things, eventually you'll, or inevitably, you'll make some mistakes. But that's okay if you learn. Just learn quickly. So, but some of us, we don't learn quickly. And that's why we're still here, because there's so many things in our past lives we probably should have learned that we didn't, and so now we need another life. So that's unfortunate, but it's true. And so we, we want to learn everything now. We don't want to take another life to learn what we could learn now. Right? So that's my that answer I'm giving is is more based on how I've understood shastra based on how I've seen things and and this is what we were talking about last night that sometimes you can't understand shastra completely unless you actually have some experience of seeing how it plays out because it's it's often easy to misunderstand what shastra means but if you if you see the reality of how something is playing out in the lives of devotees and you have like, for example, in my case, you have 50 years of seeing it. Then you can start to match up the philosophy with what you're seeing. And say, well, Krishna gives intelligence. What does that mean? And Krishna protects his devotees. And so, At the same time, we see devotees do leave. They do fall. They do commit sin. How do you put it together? And so then, by seeing experience, we see that some people are just determined, ultimately, to fall. And Krishna lets them. And in Bhagavatam,
there's a verse, Matiana Krishna Paratasvatova. It's an inter- very interesting verse. And basically the verse is saying, if you're determined, Matirna Krishna, not to be Krishna conscious, or your inclination, your Matirna Krishna Paratasvatova, your inclination to Krishna, no, it means Matirna Krishna, your inclination to Krishna will never be aroused if you don't want it to be aroused. And you can't arouse it yourself, and circumstances can't arouse it, and nobody can. Matirna Krishna Paratasvatova, by others, by yourself, I forget, but it won't be aroused by others. It won't be aroused by... Basically, it's saying... The details aren't that important because it's saying it won't be aroused by anything if it, if you don't want it. So, Kira, then you might, might ask, well, why would Krishna put someone in charge knowing that this person is, you know, maybe not able to handle handle being in charge? But ultimately, Krishna is giving us all an opportunity, and he's, you can say, in a sense, Krishna gives us opportunity. He also gives up, gives us opportunity to misuse opportunity. So, and you say, oh, but he knows, he knows we're going to misuse it. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's a learning process. He gives us the opportunity. But what I think the the, the big takeaway, and I emphasize this often, the big takeaway for us is. If you see this, if you see, let's say, someone was a nice devotee, everybody liked them, and then they got a position of authority, and all of a sudden they misused it in in ways that were problematic for other devotees, and you see this, well, it's natural to be upset, and we care about devotees, and it's natural to be upset if devotees are not being taken care of, and of course we should try to do something, but... The the lesson is don't get too absorbed in their fault, but learn the lesson that this can happen to anybody. It was a nice devotee, and now look at them. So this get the lesson that this could possibly happen to me. What can I learn from this? Rather than just getting too absorbed in what they're doing and how it's ill-affecting people, also we need to be thinking, okay, what can I learn? Learn from this one I don't have a Shastric reference for this, but one disciple of Srila Prabhupada's godbrother said sometimes Krishna will allow or cause, or I would rather say, give a devotee an opportunity to fall because they have that desire in order to teach us who didn't fall how we could fall if we do what this person does, if we do what this person did. And I don't, I don't, as I said, I don't have the Shastra for that, but I can definitely attest to the reality or to the fact that I have learned tremendous amounts from devotees who have made mistakes. In, in ISKCON, there's a leadership course which is required if you want to or you're going to become an initiating guru. And the leadership course is also um, available for any leaders. And they spent a lot of time in the course talking about maintaining your Krishna consciousness if you are in a leadership position, especially the position of guru. 
And as they were talking, you know, and making all the points, I was thinking, I, I was thinking, you know, I didn't say this, I was thinking to myself, I was talking to myself, who was talking to who? I was talking to myself, Prabhu, are you schizophrenic? You talk to yourself? What's wrong? Are you okay? Do we need to talk? You feeling all right? You talk to yourself? Only crazy people do that. So I was talking to myself. Or, okay, I'm not crazy. I was thinking. That sounds better, right? If you might think I'm crazy, I'm talking. Muhammad Prabhu is talking to himself. I'm worried about him. Do we have to do something? So I was thinking, actually, I don't think any of us need this lesson because we've seen it. And we've learned so much about this from seeing it because it didn't just happen to one devotee. It happened probably to six or maybe seven out of 11 of, of devotees who we previously felt were basically infallible. They would never have trouble. And they had trouble. And in many cases, the trouble was due to offenses they made or it was due to pride or it was due to alienating God-brothers. That's a kind of offense, um, maybe extravagant, using their position to live more extravagantly than they should as sannyasis. And so we were, you know, watching this and they... You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, but also my my saying is twenty twenty vision is very easy when you're seeing another person make a mistake. It's hard when you're making the mistake. It's not always twenty twenty. You don't always notice it or understand what the mistake is and why you're making it. But when you see another person make a mistake, it's very clear, it's very easy to understand, oh, this is the mistake. And if I make the same mistake, I may not see it clearly. So we had this opportunity, and for me, it was one of the most edifying experiences because it happened, like I say, six or seven times. And so you're watching it over and over again. It's like a replay. The same thing keeps happening. And so rather than just try to tear the person down and say, oh, he's so bad, what, you know, I, I, I didn't go there. I didn't feel that was in any way beneficial. It was just a reality I mean, I felt bad for the devotees who were ill-affected by their mistakes, definitely. But to dwell on their mistakes wasn't as valuable as noting them and noting how I could commit them. And I honestly say that if I were in their, their position, becoming a guru at the age of... When Prabhupada left, I was 27. So if I were meant to be a guru, the gurus were made officially in March of 1978 at the GBC meeting. That's when it became official, although one or two, I believe, accepted disciples, but the others were not clear what they should do, so they waited. And so in March of 1977, I was 27. I'd been a devotee. At that point, six, uh, seven years and... Well, it was March 70, it would be March 78, it would be eight years. I would have been initiated eight years at that time. So I would be 27 initiated eight years. And so if I had to become a guru at that point, I highly doubt, or, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced, so let's, let's turn this around, instead of I highly doubt, I'm pretty convinced I would have been a casualty. I wouldn't have been able to do it. 27, you're... You're 
they were put in a, a very difficult position to be honored almost like Prabhupada, even by their godbrothers or many of their godbrothers. And of course, many of their godbrothers turned against them and then they had to deal with that and they started defending them because they felt their godbrothers were against him and then those godbrothers were going to pollute their disciples by saying bad things. And it was a mess. They were having Vyasa uh, Guru Puja done every day to them. They were, they were the only ones giving classes. And their disciples were basically the same age, right? So I have female disciples, and probably the average age of my female disciple was, is, was, I don't know, late 20s, right? And I have one disciple, and I asked her, how old are you? And I think she said she's 20 or 21. And I have a son who's 46. I said, you could... You're the age of my granddaughter, or you could be the age. But he doesn't have children. But if he, if he got, if he had a kid when he was 23, now the kid would be 23 years old. So any of you who are like 23 or 22, you could be my grandchild. So that's a lot easier than having a 28-year-old female disciple when you're 28, and who writes you a letter, Guru Dave, I give you everything, body, mind, and soul. Which is, of course, what every young man would want any woman to tell him, right? I give you my body, mind, and soul. It's yours. Take it. So at that time, there was one older man in our movement. I think he was about 60. And when the gurus were having difficulty, he said something. I will not accept a guru under the age of 60. So looking at all that, I, I'm pretty certain... And if I were in that situation, I would probably have been one of the casualties to one degree or another. I don't think I I don't think I would have escaped that process with that injury. And I look at the devotees who escaped it with without injury, the few that did, with the greatest respect. It was such a difficult situation. But coming back to the point, the point was I learned so much from that. And and now in this position that I've taken, which I took three, I took seven years ago when I was 63, over 60, the safe point, come a guru. Um, I have all that experience of seeing those mistakes, which has helped me tremendously. It's very, very much on the forefront of my mind. And so my point is, when you see someone who's a nice devotee becomes a leader, perhaps in some ways misuses that position, then look at yourself and think, could I do that? And of course the answer is, I could. Would you do it? Maybe you wouldn't. But could you? It's possible. And so that that's the way to see it. And why could you do it? Because Krishna will let you do it. If you want to hang yourself, ultimately he'll let you. And... The antidote, you say, well, this sounds dangerous. Maybe I shouldn't take any authority position in this gone. The antidote to that is to be extremely sincere, and Krishna will protect you. And, and many of you know, I've told stories about how um, I went to India at the age of 29 to take sannyas. And that year, they, wouldn't, they didn't allow anyone to take sannyas, except they made one exception, and that devotee who took sannyas didn't make it. And most of the devotees who took sannyas didn't make it. They ended up giving up their vows, leaving Iskand, getting married, and so forth. 
and and I just thought I must I must have some degree of sincerity because <laughs> I probably wasn't ready at that age although I would have liked to do it but probably I wasn't really ready and Krishna knew that and he said okay this year there's it was probably because of me, the GBC, probably because of me, the GBC decided that Krishna inspired the GBC from within their heart. At least in a sense, I felt that way. So if we're sincere, Krishna, please, please, don't allow me to give in to temptation. Don't allow me to give in to this or that, whatever position I'm in, please protect me. If that sincerity is there, then based on my personal experience, based on what I've seen, Krishna will protect you. And that answers the question, why didn't Krishna protect you? Well, he will. But if you're determined not to be, if you're determined to fall into Maya, no one can stop you. Krishna can't even stop you. Matirna Krishna Parata. Oh, that's it. God can't help you. Even God can't stop you. If you want to fall into Maya, God cannot stop you. That's interesting, sad, and true. So it's good to keep that in mind. So that is my comment to Anna. Mm -hmm. Anna, you have the same problem, schizophrenia. You know that story? This, this, this young kid was having a temper tantrum in a store and the mother was saying Jennifer it's okay Jennifer just you know be peaceful Jennifer just gather yourself and this one man who was a teacher you know of uh, self-development he was admiring the mother he said I'm just I just want to tell you I was admiring you know how you were so calm and and your daughter Jennifer was having a tantrum and she said, no, I'm Jennifer. I was talking to myself. Jennifer, calm down. Jennifer, it's going to be all right. Yeah. So I guess schizophrenia has its benefits. Rada Priest says, although we do not want to break the principles, we can be at some point in our life dragged by the laws of material nature against our will. Do we have to pay a karma for this? No, your guru does. How can we protect ourselves from future falls? Um, one, of, one of the things that can protect you from a fall is to understand what precedes the fall, like what leads up to it. Krishna says you meditate on something then you become attached, then you have to have it. So aside aside from the mental process, there's also a physical process. What do you do that leads you to the next thing, that leads you to the next thing? It's like, it's midnight. Why did you eat three bags of potato chips? Oh. And how often do you do that? Well, it seems like I do it every other week. I get up at midnight and eat three... Well... How does that happen? Well, when I go to bed and I'm hungry, then I wake up at midnight and I don't know what to do. So I just tell myself, just have a few potato chips 
and that will satisfy you. But every time I eat a few potato chips, I ended up eating three bags. Okay, maybe they're little bags, but I don't want to eat three bags of potato chips. So now, if you use this philosophy that I'm giving you, you would say, the, the, there seems to be the cause is going to bed hungry and you've got potato chips in your house or you've got something you really like. So now you, sit, now you go back and say, okay, now I can see. When I go to bed hungry, I wake up at midnight and then I'm so hungry I'm not satisfied with a few potato chips. Although every time I just tell myself, just eat a few and go to sleep. But I love potato chips and I can't eat a few. So then, okay, so what do I do? Well, I should make sure I don't go to bed hungry. And if I do go to bed hungry, then I should eat something like an orange or an apple or a peach. Just get something in my stomach and go to sleep because you're not going to eat three bags of peaches for sure. So, and then, and, and then you have to be aware of, like, like, let's say it's late at night and you don't want to stay up late. But you think, well, I'll just look at my email, or I'll just look at this video, or I'll just go on Facebook. And you know that from experience, every time you just look at your email, you end up looking at other things. Or every time you just go to Facebook, this one lead thing leads to another. And you end up staying up till like 2 a.m. And so knowing that, you go back and you say, okay, what, what leads me into this problem? Well, if I do this, if I do that then this happens, then that happens, and then the problem comes. So you have to catch yourself in the process. And if you can eliminate the first step, probably that will solve because you solve it because you don't have to worry about step two and three because you didn't take step one. But if you do take step one, at least if you're aware, where does step one lead to if I'm not careful? It leads to this. So let's say, okay, but I have to do my email because there's an important message. So you know what step two is, and you just in your mind say, I'm not going to step two. Once I do my email, I'm turning my computer off. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to YouTube. I'm not going to Facebook. So I found that extremely powerful. You just, it's like, I remember many, many, many times I would go into my studio at night, like eight o'clock to work on some music project, and I could never get out before 2 a.m., and that was happening more often than it was than I wanted it to happen. And not every time I go into eight, it would happen, but it happened often enough. And I just said to myself, "Self, I have something to say to you. This is what I have to say, self. Do not ha go into your studio to do anything after eight. And if you're in there before eight, at eight, turn off, turn it off, stop it, because once." You go past eight, you may never be able to stop. Of course, if I'm doing something non-musical, recording some narration or something, it's not as addictive. So that was just the policy I had to make in, in realizing that, okay, every time I do this, not every time, but many times that I do this, it ends up, I end up staying late. Or, you know, you know this um, other problem. You know, you, you don't finish your rounds in the morning and you tell yourself, well, I'll finish them later today, like, you know, at the end of the day, like six, seven o'clock, I'll just go for a walk and finish them. And sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't. And that time when it's time to go to, for a walk, it's like seven, seven thirty, 
like here now, the sun is setting more like 8.30, quarter nine. So you can go on a nice walk, get an hour's walk, have eight rounds done. Which I was going to do last night until at 7.10, Radha Priya called me and said, Gurmaj, you're late for class. And I go, oh, I forgot. That does happen occasionally. Um, so in an event like that, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just chant later. But... Later never comes. That would be a good song, Marco, right? Or is there a song like that? You ever postpone your japa for later and later never comes, or you postpone something for later and later never comes. So when you when you see patterns, then you say, Okay, I I I know there's a pattern there. This is a dangerous pattern. And I can't, you know, lie to myself that this is gonna happen. You know. I'm just gonna I'm really hungry, but I'll just have one potato chip. Have you ever in your life only eaten one potato chip? No, well, I never have, but maybe maybe I could do it tonight. You know, That kind of lying to ourselves. We, we just confront it. And so that can help tremendously in following principles. Because they say, I know if I don't do this and I don't do that, I'll be fine. But if I do this, it generally leads to this which generally, you know, well, they only ate one potato chip, but it led to raiding the refrigerator and eating the sabji and rice and dal. And that was left over from lunch. And now it's 1 a.m. and my stomach is full and I can't go back to sleep or I'm going to sleep for another 10 hours because I'm so full. Or it, it, You know from experience it doesn't work. So I think this is important. We... Um, I I came up with this concept, but let me tell you how I came up with this concept because the context may help you understand. I I decided, I don't know when it was, it could have been 10 years ago, I decided the movement needs some kind of support for people who have sexual challenges, which is basically 101% of us, but specifically people who are really feeling they need help, like they need a lot of help. So, you know, when I develop a course, I try to develop it in relation to reality, what people are going through, and come up with solutions that are real. So we were discussing, you know, um, sexual, uh, this was a male, a male, of course, for men, I don't, really know much about women's problems and I don't really study it and I don't think it's really appropriate for me to study it that if there's a woman's sexual purity program it should be done by women but because I have a male body or the the PC way the PC way for a devotee to say I'm a I'm a spirit soul in a male body that's that's the we should make a book of PC Hare Krishna statements. Excuse me, Prabhu, I have to service my body. Do you know what that means? I have to service my body. It means I have to go to the toilet. Um, I am a, I'm a man. The politically correct is I am a spirit soul in a male body. Isn't that funny? You know, you imagine. You know, you're a new devotee. Are you a new person? You come to the temple and. Some, Excuse me, I have to service my body. I'll be right back. Um, so, tell me about yourself. Oh, I'm a, a spirit soul in a male body. I'm a spirit soul in a white body, in a 
I'm a, and a male white, I'm a white-bodied male spirit soul. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Isn't that funny? Um, so, I was asking them, and this is important because, because it's basically what I was describing, and you can apply this to anything. I, was, I came up with a concept, I said, the red line, the red line. And, and I envisioned the red line like the circle that Lakshman drew around Sita. And you know the story. Ram was calling. It wasn't Ram. It was Marichi who was imitating Ram. And Lakshman knew that. He said, Ram's not in trouble. He can never be in trouble. But Marichi was saying, Lakshman, help, help, help. And Lakshman's like, nah. Lakshman was chilling. Sita's, Sita said, go, go, get him. Ram's in trouble. Lakshman said, he's not in trouble. He was, he was total Southern California chill or Sydney Beach chill. No, he's not in trouble. And Sita was like, no, no, go. No, don't worry, he'll take care of himself. No, oh, you just want to stay here with me, you know. Lakshman felt so bad when she said that. So he thought, what to do? He created, I'm not exactly sure how he did this, but he's Lakshman, so he can do anything. He drew a circle, and he said, stay inside the circle. No one will be able to come inside that circle. You'll be protected. So I was looking at, at that concept. I said, what is that circle in which you, are, you feel protected? Sexually, in this case. It could be any principle. Or it could be anything. Maybe you're a shopaholic. Maybe that's your problem. Or maybe you're a talkaholic. Do they have Talkaholics Anonymous? They should. Um, sometimes if you talk too much, you, you waste, you like you'd never get anything done all day because you spent your whole day talking. Ever notice that? Like if, you ever notice if you like put tape on your lips, how much more you would get done in a day? Like if you have a lot to do, this is Mahatma's secrets, self-development secrets. If you have a lot to do and it's not getting done, the best thing you can do is tape your lips up. You'll be amazed at how much more time you have when you don't talk. I'm, I'm, sounds funny. I'm totally serious. It's just like sometimes I turn my phone off, I go in my office. I just don't talk to anybody because I don't have time. That's when you start talking. Like, How's it going? What are you doing? Yeah, you know, I just read this. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. You know, and at the end of a half hour, it's like, well, that was just 30 minutes of talking with totally uneventful. So whatever the problem may be, of course, this is, we're, we're talking in the context of sexual problems, but it could be any problem. And even among sexual problems, problems there's not one sexual problem. It, it could be this, it could be that. It could be this, that. There's so many varieties. So the idea of the red circle was the red circle is where you're safe. And if you stay in that circle, you won't have problems. So if, you, if, if as Radhapriya is saying, if we're, if we're, I think what you're saying maybe is talking about four regular principles. If not, at least we can use that as an example. So let's say we're talking about strictly following the regular principles or other devotional principles. So you ask yourself, what, what is it? Where's my red line that once I jump over that, 
red line, as we say in America, it's downhill from there. What is that thing that I do that once I do that, it's downhill? So you all can answer that question. You know, if if it's if it if it's a sexual purity thing and a man has an issue with pornography, then he, it's I turn my computer on once everyone in the house is asleep because they can't see what I'm doing. That's my red line. So if I don't turn my computer on, I'm not going to have that problem because I don't have access to pornography any other way or on my phone. No, no device that's connected to the internet will go on when my family's asleep because that's when I look at pornography. So something as simple as that. And then I said, I think it's better we draw a preliminary red line. So, so before you fall off the cliff, there's some warning signs. Beep, 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 beep. Get back, get back. Something like that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, here's the cliff, and there's a little, like, electronic device. And when you get close to the cliff, it beeps. They get back because you're getting close to the cliff. So, like, what's the, what's the warning sign that you're coming close to your red line? And if you can catch yourself, then you're going to prevent it. But... The mantra is, it's downhill from there. Once you cross the red line, it's downhill from there. Or like Marco plays guitar. So Marco knows you could play guitar a long time, right? You could play and say, and, and maybe in a certain situation, a certain time, he's just like, I'm not going to play guitar because now I have time and because I don't have to do anything the rest of the day, I could end up playing guitar all day. So that's my red flag. Okay. Lock the guitar up, put it up in a closet, put it up in the attic, make it hard to get to, you know, something like that. So sometimes you have to do drastic measures, right? You know, like, lock, you know, after 10 o'clock, my computer goes up in the attic and it's 30 below zero in the attic. And I put it in a place where it'll take 10 minutes to finally get it. Something like that. It's just, just, I'm so weak, I have to do that. Whatever the case is, you may be weak, then you do it. But... That's how you deal with that. So that's the philosophy. So um, and maybe maybe we could just say, do what you have to do, and you figure it out, whatever that is. But remember, over the red line, it's downhill from there. Right? And after that first potato chip, potato, potato, as they say in some parts of America. After that first potato chip, it's downhill from there, Pabu. Once I eat that first pakora, it's downhill from there. I'll eat twenty-six pakoras. You have you have that experience, right, with eating, right? Uh-huh. So I have a. I have a, a story for you. Uh, some of you may know the story. It's very funny. I was priding myself on being renounced. So I was in London. <clears throat> this must have been two or three years ago. And they'd say, what do you want to eat? And I'd say, Kitrine chapatis. And, and if I say, I just want to eat Kitrine chapatis, it's pretty rare that they just give me Kitrine chapatis. They give me Kitrine chapatis and a sabji and a samosa and then 
you know, and I normally don't eat sugar, so they'll give me a sweet, I would say, make a, you know, just get some dried fruit and some almond butter, mix it up. That's my sweet, roll into a ball. And there's a little maha and a little sweet rice, and there's just a devotee in London who's famous for making shrikans. So we got invited to their house, but before we went to their house, whatever little sweet I would get, I would turn to my disciple, I think Jenny was the one serving, I'd say, Jenny, I am so renounced that you give me all these sweets, but I've just tasted because it's prasadam and I can't, you can't, when you're given maha prasadam, you can't say no, unless you have a severe medical issue. So I would taste it. I say, just see how renounced I am. Even though this, these sweets are amazing, I just take a taste and I don't eat it. So it was kind of a joke and every day I would do it. And I would just take a taste and that's it. I go, see, I'm renounced. Your Guru Maharaj is very renounced. He can taste something delicious, one drop. And then we went to this devotee's home, and his wife is famous, at least in my mind, famous for her Shrikan. Her Shrikan is unlike any other Shrikan. So they gave me a little, little spoon. The spoon was like, it was like, you ever see a little spoon? Like a medicine spoon, like smaller than my finger. The spoon. Yeah, it was actually smaller than my finger. And so I take the Shrikan. You know, just see how renounced they am. I will take a little Shrikan. Hmm, that's good. Hmm. I think I had two cups of Shrikan. <laughs> the, so what's the mantra? Don't taste the Shrikan. That Shrikan is the line. I'm, and if I go over to their home for lunch and they often invite me when I go to London, I pretty much already know. Either I don't take any Shrikan or if I take Shrikan, I'm going to eat a cup of Shrikan because that Shrikan is so good and it's such a rare event. I go, okay, I'll, I'll surrender to the Shrikan today. So that's a funny story, and I'm sure you all have your own funny story, right? Of uh, I just took a drop, and the drop turned into a mountain, right? So, Hare Krishna. So, Sanatani, all the way from Norway, says, Sometimes devotees push them so too much so they fall down. Sometimes a push is needed, but how to know when it's too much? Oh, yeah. It's sad to see wonderful devotees fry themselves. You mean you're pushing them or they're pushing? You say they push themselves too much or are they are pushed? I think you mean push. Let me read this again. Sometimes devotees push them. I mean, you mean push themselves too much so they fall down, yes. Sometimes a push is needed, but how to know when it's too much? It's sad to see wonderful devotees fry themselves, yeah. It, it could be due, well, you know, we were talking about yesterday about being sensitive to people's suffering and being aware that they're suffering, and I think this might be a case of that. Like, let's say you see a devotee and they're pushing themselves beyond what you believe is healthy, then interfere. It, it can also be, we never did the kirtan, did we? Maybe at the end we'll sing something. So... It, it also could be, Sanatani, that there's a prevailing culture within the temple or the ashram or 
within the leading preachers who visit that they really, really, really push people. And we should push people as preachers. It's our job. So if that culture prevailed, prevails, let's say I, I come... I come to Norway and I'm pushing and I'm, you got to get up at four o'clock and if you get up at four one, you're in total Maya and you're a disgrace to Srila Prabhupada. And, you know, there's the fact that you put on T-lock if you get up after 4 a.m. It's just like, you shouldn't touch it. And I'm pretty, you know, and in a sense, you could preach that way because Prabhupada said you should get up at four o'clock. And, you know, you should get all your rounds done in the morning by 10. If you don't get your rounds done in the morning by 10, you're just, you're useless, bum, dog. You know. Not that we would say that, but you understand what I'm saying, that in just preaching the philosophy, it can create in the heart of someone the desire, the need to do what you're saying, to really push themselves beyond their own limits to the point where they fry themselves. And it's not necessarily the fault of the preacher, although there may be instances where maybe a preacher is insensitive and, or it was inappropriate for the audience. So as a leader, or even not as a leader, when you see that, you should intervene and say, you know, Maharaj said, you know, after Maharaj goes, and say, and then you give a class and say, well, Maharaj said so many things and I want to discuss this practically. He said this and that and this and that. How do we apply this? How do we understand it? How do we know if we're ready for that? How do we know if it's too much for us? So then you intervene and you try to balance it out. So wherever you see possible tendencies that devotees could have based on classes, tendencies to fry themselves based on classes they hear, you do something. Sometimes... I give classes, and I, of course, I try to be balanced, but I realize that sometimes I give classes where I'm really, you know, pushing for something that I think is important. And then I think after the class, I think, well, is that going to be misunderstood? Because I, I didn't mean it in a fanatical, overly strict way, but it com could come across that way. So if some things could come across that way, even though it's not the intention of the speaker, then you have to intervene or ask questions in class. Like, yes, Maharaj, that's very nice, but what if somebody's not ready to do that? Then what? Said, so, well, if you're not ready to do that, then at least, you know, try to chant four rounds a day and at least get up before the sun, sun rises, which I guess in Norway, in Norway in the winter, the sun doesn't rise till like nine o'clock. So that's not a good answer. But... <laughs> or 8 o'clock, or something like that. I was there in the winter. You feel like you're getting up early in the morning, even if you're not. So, but you know what I'm saying, right? So then you, you get him to balance it out, or you balance it out. And then that goes the same for ourselves. If, if someone is giving a class, and they go, okay, this is the ideal, but if I try to push myself beyond what I can maintain steadily, it's going to have repercussions, right? So, you know, okay. Sanatani, exercise regime. Okay, you need to run 10 kilometers every day. You're like, 10 kilometers? I'd be lucky to run 100 meters. And so, okay, okay. Can you run 100 meters today? Yeah, I can run 100 meters. Could you run 
150 the next day, probably. What about 200 the next day? Okay, so let's add 50 a day. And you go, okay, I'll, I can do that. But what if I say, no, tomorrow you have to run, you run 10 meters because that's the standard. So we have to think that way ourselves. Okay, this is the standard. What can I do today? Right, because I think, you know, inherent in your question is the reality that we can burn ourselves out in trying to achieve what's beyond our level, right? So that I think that's also an issue for all of us to understand and contemplate. Like, what what would fry me out? Because I, I said a few days ago, I've seen a lot of people surrender themselves right out of ISKCON. And that's what you're talking about. They're so surrendered, they want to be such good devotees. And it it's beyond what they can maintain. They set standards for themselves that they're beyond what they can maintain and they just get burned out and they leave and say, I can't do this. This is too hard. And part of the problem also comes from the all or nothing mentality or the perfectionist mentality. So if you have an all or nothing mentality, you know, you're like super strict with yourself, you have a perfectionist mentality, then you could fry yourself out when you don't achieve perfection. So that's all something that we have to look at. You know, okay, you know, I can't get up at four, all right. I can get up at five, okay. I just can't get to bed early, okay. All right, so get up at five, that's good. I can't get all my rounds done by 10 a.m., okay. But I get them done every day, okay. <laughs> These are realities we have to deal with. And, you know, I, I, think, I think another thing which is important, that a lot... A lot of these answers I'm giving you might be listening to them and thinking, well, what he's saying is just common sense. It's not like he's bringing in so much Shastra. He's just, it's just the way life is. And that's true. And Prabhupada said, Krishna consciousness is 90% common sense. So the sad reality is that often when devotees maybe don't understand Krishna consciousness deeply enough, then common sense sometimes is replaced with a misunderstanding of Shastra and they're trying to apply Shastra in a non-common, in an uncommon way or without common sense. So I often find that when in doubt, just apply common sense and see where that takes you. In trying to be chaste to Shastra, but don't throw out common sense when you're trying to understand Shastra. Another thing I think that's super important, super, super important, is that when Prabhupada was talking about principles and following principles, he had a different <clears throat> different way that he looked at it for initiated devotees and non-initiated, or devotees living in a temple and devotees living outside the temple. Because if you're living in a temple, and specifically if you're initiated, then you've agreed to adopt certain standards. But if you're not initiated or you're not living in a temple... You haven't agreed necessarily. You may have, but you may not have agreed to those standards. So, so Prabhupada was, okay, if you can't follow those standards, that's fine. If you're not initiated, follow what you can. That was always his mood, you know, chant, do this, do that. But once you're initiated, once you're taking Krishna consciousness more seriously or you live in a temple, then it changes. And then Prabhupada was more demanding. So... For people who are not initiated, 
people who are coming to Krishna consciousness for us to make them feel guilty because they can't do certain things or if they feel guilty we should do something about it you know we should intervene we should make them feel guilty and if they naturally feel guilty we should intervene and say no no you're, you're not initiated it's okay you know build up to it become qualified for 16 rounds and so forth And if you're a perfectionist, then at least realize that perfection is not the goal of Krishna consciousness. Love is. Love is the perfection. Perfection is not the perfection. Love is the perfection. That's a good mantra to remember for perfectionists. At least material perfection is not the perfection of Krishna consciousness, or even perfection of sadhana, or perfection of puja, or perfection of what is, what is a perfect kirtan? Yeah, when you're more humble than a blade of grass, that's a perfect kirtan. What's a perfect puja when you're more humble than a blade of grass? So, what does perfection mean? Perfect love. That's it. Perfect perfect mood. If you don't have love, at least have the mood. So that's what we need to teach. And then, when you realize that, then you understand the rules, regulations, they're just helping you increase your love. And if following them doesn't help you increase your love, you have to look and say, well, what's going wrong here? Am I following them like I'm in the military? And I think the goal of Krishna consciousness is to follow the rules and regulations perfectly. No, it's not. The goal is to love Krishna. And the rules and regulations will help you. But if the rules and regulations end up causing you to hate yourself, hate devotees, want to run away from Krishna consciousness, then the mentality was wrong. Hare Krishna. Okay. Rachel is asking, is it okay if I have conversations with Krishna and Radha? I also talk to Burijan Prabhu in my head. I'm aspiring servant. I talk to myself a lot too. Yes. You want to hear a funny conversation a devotee had? I was in Mauritius and this devotee had come from South Africa. So South Africa was quite a wealthy country at that time he came and Mauritius was very poor and we didn't even have a vehicle and it would rain a lot and devotees would take buses to go on Sankirtan and sometimes to get the buses they walked through fields it was kind of muddy and this devotee he came and he was really upset and he went to the deities and said Krishna I have to, you have to see me right stand up a little bit Krishna you put your hands why are you making the devotees do this? You don't even give them a car. It's not fair. You know, why do you know we have to take a bus? And this is not right. And he was talking to Krishna like that. Kind of funny. And then the minister, the, like the police chief who was friends with devotees and lived in the neighborhood of the temple showed up. And that devotee had to go into town, which is like a, probably like a half hour bus ride or something. And the police chief said, I'm going into town. You need a ride. And he's, he's, he, the government people are riding BMWs. At least they used to. So now this devotee got a ride in the BMW when he's getting And Krishna said, okay, okay. So I think it's okay if it's done respectfully. Krishna, why are you doing this? And talking to Krishna, yeah. That, I think that's, that's really, prayer is really talking to Krishna. And you know, you're talking to your Guru Maharaj. You're really praying in, in his... In a, in a broader sense, don't you think? Krishna, how could you allow that? Or Krishna, help me. Or Krishna, why is this happening to me? 
yeah, it's, it's, I think it's really good. Because Krishna will talk to you. And Prabhupada said that so often, that Krishna will talk to you. But you have to ask questions. Then he'll, t he'll talk more if you ask questions. Krishna Karshani says, You said to prevent ourselves from fall down, we have to be sincere. Recently, a temple president in one of the Polish temples fell down and rejected his own guru. He seemed to be very sincere and also devotee, and we were not able to help him because he was not even aware that he was on the way to fall down. Yeah, so, um, well, his case may have been special, but maybe not special. But he was in a circumstance um, which maybe precipitated his fall down. But if he's sincere, he'll come back. That's, that's, and he probably will, I think. What do you think? I think he'll come back and, you know, if he's a sincere devotee, he'll understand his mistake, he'll apologize. It may be this year, next year, five years, ten years. We see that also. If, if the sincerity is there, they'll come back. Sometimes we've seen devotees come back almost like on their last leg, like they tried everything in the material world, and the material world just beat them down and they come back and say, you know, I was foolish. I left Krishna consciousness and I just, I guess I had to get beaten up a little more. I guess I wasn't convinced. And so they come back and then we all think, well, he must be sincere because he came back. Or Krishna must love him because Maya beat him. If Krishna loves you, Maya will beat you to death. That would be an interesting t-shirt, right? If Krishna loves you, Maya will beat you to death. Or a, or, a, or a talk for a daily video. So so sometimes it's like that. So and if he's less sincere, he'll have, he'll come back and get another chance. And you know, I don't think I don't think we could say that sincerity is a constant. It can rise and it can fall. So just because I was sincere last year doesn't necessarily mean I will be sincere this year. But if my sincerity remains, I may be confronting realities in this world that have deviated me, right? Just like, like you see in Shastra. You know, these great yogis, Vishramita. Was it Vishramita? Who was meditating. After 60,000 years of meditation, Manaka comes by, and she's very beautiful. I think she was Apsara. Apsaras are like actually prostitutes from heaven very beautiful you know if a woman's a if a woman is beautiful it's disturbing a man if a woman is beautiful and a prostitute it's really disturbing and if a woman's beautiful and a prostitute and you find her in the middle of a forest and you're alone that's really disturbing right so was it vishramita anyway he had a fall down in the forest but right after the fall down, he realized he made a mistake, and you know, he was sincere, so he rectified himself. And then, I think it happened again, and then instead of falling down, he got angry, and he lost his shakti through the anger, and then he realized, oh, that was a mistake. And then he recouped himself and got back together. So a lot of times you see someone makes a mistake, and they immediately realize it, and sometimes it may take more time.
And sometimes they're in, you know, someone's in a very bewildering situation. They fall in love or they get a very powerful position and they just get bewildered by it. And it's, but they're still sincere, but they just have to go through all the bewilderment stuff. And then when they kind of see through it, they come back, their sincerity kicks in and then they're, they're good. And if the sincerity weakens or the offense is too great, then they may not recuperate in this life. You are not schizophrenic, according to psychology. Internal dialogue is normal. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, yeah, I just use that as a joke. I um, sometimes say I think we're spiritually schizophrenic because, you know, at, at 5 a.m. we're devotees, at 11 a.m. we're, we're karmis, at 3 p.m. we're like demons, you know, it's like we keep changing our mentality. The Japa song. The song of the Japa beads. Oh, I wanted to tell you something. I read yesterday some prayers to Tulsi. There's the devotees pray to their Tulsi beads. Dear Tulsi, you know, help me with my Japa. So after, after um, finding these verses, prayers to Tulsi, then I did a search for prayers to clickers. And um, I have to admit, I didn't find any prayers to clickers. Only prayers to Tulsi. So for all of you clickers, I just wanted to give you a heads up that you can't pray to your clicker. You can only pray to your Tulsi beads. So that you might, you know, want to trade your clicker in for Tulsi beads just because then you can pray for Tulsi. Pray to Tulsi. Uh, Shuramani says, I understand that sincerity as and honesty with ourselves, starting with knowing and accepting our strengths and evils, and being willing to work on it. A lot of self-observation and internal work. We have to be responsible for ourselves. Yeah, that's part of it. And Prabhupada also said, sincerity means that it's more of a willingness to make the attempt to be a pure devotee. It's like, I'm not... I may be weak, I may fall, but I'm not going to consciously try to take advantage of anybody or take advantage of Krishna consciousness. I'm not going to try to consciously do something to work around the process of Krishna consciousness to get it in the back door. You know, maybe I can, you know, chant eight rounds, but uh, I'll still go back to Godhead because I'll I'll do this service. It's it's sincerity means the willingness to do the right thing, and specifically, the willingness to do it with the right motive. You know that I I'm sincere, which means I want to please Krishna. I want to please Guru. That's that's what I want. That's I want to please the devotees. I want to please Prabhupada. That's what sincerity is. Yes, and everything else you said also, self honesty. And if, I mean, for me, before I heard that definition, the Prophet said sincerity means pure motive. For me, I always felt sincerity, man, I want Krishna. And I'll do what I, I'll do what I have to do to become Krishna conscious. And I'll do it for the right reason. 
That's how I, I always just like intuitively felt sincere. That's what sincerity was. And I think now, in, in light of what's going on in the world, sincerity also means and stand up, and stand up for those who are not who are not being treated respectfully, who are not being honored, who are being yeah, minimized, marginalized, mistreated, discriminated against. That's also. Part of, I think, being as a sincere devotee, when we, as we said yesterday, when we see something which is unjust within our organization, then we have to try to do something if we can. Of course, I know sometimes we can't do anything, but at least we can bring it up to authorities and say, I don't, I don't think this is right. Can we do something? At English school, they taught me to say, sorry, I have to go and powder my nose. Hmm. Mm. Very proper. <laughs> wow. Sometimes devotees push themselves so much. Yeah, okay. We answered that one. I surrendered... I surrendered myself right out of this gun. That's the problem. Fried, burnt, fried, how does it go? Burnt, fried, and toasted to the max? Toasted, fried, and burnt to the max? That's it, yeah. I'm fried, toasted, and burnt. That was the mantra of the Sankirtan devotees, you know, like the end of Christmas marathon. I'm fried, toasted, and burnt to the max. But this is a, a serious consideration. I I surrender myself right out of this kind. I have a I have a disciple and well, she's not a disciple now. And she was surrendering herself outside of Iskon and I told her, You're that's what's happening to you and you have to be careful. And she didn't understand it or couldn't hear it or didn't want to hear it. Or all three, and that's what happened. She was trying to achieve something she couldn't achieve, and then she burnt. And then it was kind of like, well, if I can't achieve this, I'll just give up the whole thing. And so some people have that mentality, the all or nothing. That's dangerous. So she was very surrendered. So surrendered she left his gun. So we have a talkaholic here. We have a confession, everyone from Krishna Karshani. She is a talkaholic. When I come to Poland, I bring tape which I give her. Well, I'm, I have some tape. Oh, Krishna Karshan. Look what I have for you. So when I come to Poland, this is really good tape. Once you get it on, I don't know if you'll ever get it off. So this is for Krishna Karshan. Because when we travel, sometimes we travel long distances. And if she doesn't wear this tape, I won't get my rounds done. And we'll discuss, in five hours, we can discuss every problem in ISKCON about ten times over. So we've got this tape just for you. It's got your name on it. It's called Krishna Karshani Tape. Can you see inside what it says? It says Krishna Karshani Monavrata Tape. Okay. And then we have a chocoholic. Probably more than one chocoholic. We have another 
testimony here from Anna. She's a chocoholic. In psychology, we say, watch out for the red flag signs. Yeah, exactly. So, I think the problem, Vijay Lakshmi, is sometimes we see the red flags and we just, like, paint them white or something. Yeah, don't worry about it. Paint it white. I don't see it. That's another problem, right? Okay, I know where the red flags are, but I just ignore them. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur Dasa, what a beautiful name, says, How to not fail in repression with this self-rules red circles. How to keep themselves as a healthy habit. Well, here's, here's a problem which ISKCON has not really articulated well. And it's a little, it's a little difficult. And in a sense, um, I feel like it's, it's almost like taboo to talk about this. And it's so important to talk about it. And I feel like, like almost I could get my guru license revoked for talking about this. Oh, that's just a joke. And, and, and now I've got your attention, don't I? Probably won't get my guru license revoked for this, but there's a reality, and we all know the reality, and I think, I think a problem that we have in ISKCON is there's a reality, and we just don't want to admit it, that like this is going on, but of course all the preaching preaches over it. Like it's like it doesn't see it. It's like this is going on. No, but this is where it's supposed to be, and this is where we're supposed to be. But what about this area, where the people that are supposed to be up here? Well, I have I can't raise my hand. The people are supposed to be up here. This is where our preaching is, are actually down here. But down here is not really acceptable because these are initiated people, or these are people who have been devotees for a long time, and this is what our philosophy says. So they should all be here, and. How do I preach to them here when preaching to them here doesn't work because they can't do it? And so, you know, we have this reality which, which anyone who's been around ISKCON knows and has seen that you come in and you're very enthusiastic and you're very, you have the expectation that you're going to be very Krishna conscious and very pure. And then at some point, you start to realize more about your nature and, and you start to understand, well, I didn't, I wasn't really in touch with my nature or I was just very young and enthusiastic and I was straight out of the material world. So I was like shunning everything. But now that I'm older, I realize I have a certain nature, I have certain propensities. And I also realize that I have maybe not abilities to be as renounced or sense controlled as I thought I would have. And now I'm confronted with the reality that I can't live up to standards that I committed to living up to, especially for initiated devotees. And there seems to be in our movement not a lot of leeway for that. It's like, no, you have to follow these principles because you committed. And that is true. And that is the right answer. But that answer could push people who are all or nothing out or at least push people into becoming somewhat depressed about their current situation. And so I think what we will see in the future and what maybe is we're seeing more now or we have to see is, number one, um, people taking time to get initiated, waiting till they're older, waiting till maybe they have some kids and they're settled, and or the 
and it's also debatable because some people would say better get initiated even if you have to minimize some of the, your vows because we'll connect you to your guru. But but philosophically, you don't need to be initiated to be connected to your guru. It's a matter of heart. You can be connected the first day you meet him. And so many devotees, when they met Prabhupada, they said, I just felt he was my guru as soon as I met him. And then Prabhupada was in their heart, and they were connected. And initiation was not going to make that connection more uh, deeper. It was already deep. So, there there has to be some adaptation. So let's say, I can't do this, and I've tried, and the more I try, the more difficult it is. And you, you, you sometimes you see a devotee who at one point was very fired up and sincere, who like went on Sankirtan, like every day they loved it. And they hit a certain point in their life, and you see them and say, I'm never going to go on Sankirtan again, ever. I hate it. It burnt me. You know, they, they reflect on it, and they start looking back on it, and they say, you know, I'm really an introvert, and and I really hated doing it, or I, you know, I wasn't honest with people. And you're like, I don't believe you. You love Sankirtan, but they're just reflecting and say, well, I loved it for the wrong reason. That you know, you've probably seen this, and they're going through this whole metamorphosis. You know, I hate this, and you know, I used to wear tilak and neck beads and a dhoti, and now I look at it and I think that I look like a clown, and that's ridiculous, and I don't want to be Indian. And they're going through all of this. Have you seen that before? Like. I can't believe I was such a fanatic when I was a young devotee and I preached all these things and I was so unkind to women. And and they're just like processing. We've seen this. And in the process, you know, all of a sudden, it's not 16 rounds, it's not tilak and quarter or sari, it's, you know, it's not, you know, Bengali bhajan, you know, it's like things change. Not for everybody, but to some degree, I would say for everybody, some degree it's like that. And so there has to be this place where people can fall into comfortably and not feel guilty and not have to leave because there's no place because they're supposed to be up here and they're here. I think that's also part of the philosophy of Krishna West. I don't know what you all think of Krishna West. I have like my own concept. If I say Krishna West, I think a lot of everybody has maybe their own concept of my concept of Krishna West is a place where people will not get, okay, you have to come up here. You know, you've been around six months. Okay, everybody, get under him and push him up and hold him up with heavy Bhagavatam classes and wake him up at three o'clock with ice water on his head and get him out on Sankertown by 10 o'clock. Otherwise, he'll go back to sleep because he doesn't get enough rest. He's just like, Ugh. you know? You understand that, right? You've seen that, right? So I think the concept of Krishna West and my own personal concept in preaching is it's got to be a natural process. So if you have to kick somebody up like fast, yes, we're kicking them up by preaching, but it's more natural and gradual. So you, you find your comfort zone. And I think some people thought their comfort zone was up here and years later they realize it's down here and there has to be a way that they adjust to that and we as a movement adjust to that and accept that reality that some people you know they're going to need more time to stay up here and they stayed up here when they were younger but they couldn't maintain it exactly so um 
repression doesn't work. It's just, it's it's like Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur Das. It's like you have to find find a place from which you're going to progress. And if you, and sometimes it's said, you have to take two steps back to go forward. Right? Okay. I'm getting ready. I'm getting. I'm sitting up here. Right? I'm getting ready to go forward. Okay. Now I'm ready. I go back. And then I go up. Two steps back to take two steps forward. So sometimes it's like that. And everyone's situation will be individual. So you'll have to see. Hmm. Hmm. So Kamini says to Sanatani, thank you for your wonderful question. It's really heartbreaking to witness devotees going through that. And you know, another another nice meditation is that we know how rare it is that someone becomes a devotee, and we know it takes a lot of work to make someone a devotee and maintain them. And so, if we we don't maintain them well, and they run into troubles, and we're too like rule regulation oriented, all or nothing oriented, or we lack sensitivity, um, or there's prejudice against them and so forth. Anything that we do to make it difficult is a is a, a huge mark against us. And at least the way I see it is that if someone finally becomes a devotee, it's so rare and difficult. We really, really need to do everything we can to ensure that they're doing well and they're happy. And what I've seen... Perhaps you've seen this also. There's a lot of things that come up in the lives of devotees that they question, that make it difficult to remain in Krishna consciousness. And these things are natural. And it's it's hard to get out of Maya because Maya, she doesn't want you to get out. She just wants to keep you like confused. She wants to break your faith. She wants you to see faults in devotees. She wants you to see faults in the movement. She wants you to look at the philosophy and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Or how could there? Prabhupada said this, but then now here in this purport, he's saying the opposite thing. And so my, you know, so it's, we really, it really requires a lot of love, affection, care, and so forth to help people maintain their Krishna consciousness. And we all should give that love, care, and affection and attention to whoever we can give it to. Regular, Vijay Lakshmi says, regular conscious efforts never give a dragon. Shatarupa, I can listen to this again. What is this that you're going to listen to again? Psychology says that it's better to eat a little rather than not because you will land up eating the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to eat anything. Yeah. I, yeah, so so that's another way of saying be real about your needs, be real about your position, be real about what you can and cannot achieve in this present position. And we had discussed this um, maybe a few days ago, maybe this class, another class. So the the problem that Prabhupada says, the problem is not a, not where you're at now, 
the problem is giving up on the process. So a lot of us feel we're not as evolved as we'd like to be. That's not the problem. The problem is is giving up the process or trying to be more renounced than you can maintain steadily because that could cause you to, to crash or give up the process. So if you can be more accepting, or number one, be more real about what you need, what your needs are, fulfill those needs in a way that you can still advance in Krishna consciousness. So that that's the trick. How do I fulfill my needs in a way that still helps me progress rather than trying to renounce certain needs and then doing it for a while, thinking this is the best thing and then crashing. It may be, renunciation is the best thing, but it, it only works if you're renounced. That's a profound statement, right? Renunciation only works if you're renounced, yeah. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, I should be up here, but that only works if you actually can do it. But if you can only do here, Trying to be up here it generally gets you, and you end up down here, right? We can learn a lot from hands, right? I'm trying to be up here. Actually, I can be steady here, but by trying to be up here, sometimes I crash and I end up down here, or more sometimes down here, which is outside of Krishna consciousness. You skip my question and some other, really? What question? Okay, we're going to go back up. Skip her question. What about a chocoholic? It's a problem. A talkaholic, chocoholic. What other holics? Guitaraholic. Facebookaholic. Krishna Karshani, can you... Um, I can't find those questions. Can you put the questions again? And anyone else whose question I didn't answer, can you put the question again? Because I'm not seeing it. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. We have a rasa. I don't see Krishna Karshani's question. I do not have the eyes to see your question. Give me a second chance. Anna says, I constantly put standards. I miss them, but try to make them the next day. If I miss them, I will try the day after. Continuously ask Krishna to give me the strength to move on, which is great as long as you don't get discouraged. We, we always want, we always look forward, you know. I may be here, but I look forward to being here, and looking forward to being here is what inspires me. Sometimes, you know, just seeing that I'm here is like, hmm, that's not so inspiring. But knowing I could come here someday and I see that's my ideal and that's where I'll go to, that, that's inspiring. Find common sense very difficult to develop in Kali Yuga. Yeah. Well, I think part, part of the problem can be that um, when you read shlokas, sometimes it, it seems to, like, go against common sense, like there's some spiritual common sense there. And a lot of times there isn't any more spiritual common sense there. It's just you didn't understand the shloka, and then it's taking away your material common sense. And that's what we talked about last night. If if the Shastra is saying something, but you look out in the world and say, it doesn't seem to be the way the world is, and you have to either 
understand the context of the verse, the application of it, and so there may be something missing. And um, and sometimes you, when you look at the common sense answer and it looks like the Shastra is saying something difficult, a lot of times the Shastra is not saying, it's just misapplication, misunderstanding. So, so common sense is, like they say, not common, but it doesn't mean that when you become... Krishna conscious, you give up your common sense. Prabhupada said it's mostly common sense. Kamaniya says, what you're saying about perfection would be wonderful for a daily video. Yeah, okay, I write it down. Now you have to tell me, what did I say? Um, um, I might have already done a video on that. Perfection, what did I say? Perfection is to have perfect love. Um, you know, I might have just done a video recently. Sometimes I do a video and, and I forget that I did it. I might have actually done it. I'll have to check. Perfection is not perfection. Oh, okay, that's a good one. Perfection is not perfection. Material perfection is not Perfection is not perfection. Love is perfection. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's it. <coughs> Goranga. <coughs> Nityananda. John says, There is no temple close to me, but you have helped me stay on board and welcome me. Hare Krishna, John. John is way up in Maine, which is northeast almost in Canada. There's not a lot of devotees around there. But you like the birds? Background noise. I'm actually playing a CD of birds. No, it's actually real birds. I have my windows wide open. Sometimes it's it's cool right now, but when it gets really hot, I close them. I have them wide open so you hear the birds. And there's trees right out here. There's trees out here. I don't know if you can see... If it's all just a bunch of white. You hear the woodpeckers? Woodpeckers are interesting, aren't they? Do they eat wood? Why do they peck wood? They have itchy noses. they got to bounce their beaks on wood. I never understood them. But we have woodpeckers here. Interesting. Okay. Kamaniya says, I was sitting in the Bhakti Center in New York City when Marmashwar Prabhu came back. I think it was his first time to a temple a long time. It was very humbling to watch, yeah. He had realized he had made many mistakes. And you go, you know, you go through growth processes and you understand more about yourself and your mistakes. And what we as older devotees who've gone through those processes need to do is help younger devotees go through that processes because as you see with a lot of younger devotees they don't it's hard for them to imagine what it's going to be like in 20 30 years how much different the world will be and how much different they will be and how much different iskon will be and but we know because we've seen the changes and yeah he went he had a lot of realizations and he came back in a very repentant mood and much much different than when he left Vishramita. 
Krishna Amrita fell in love in the middle of the forest. Fell in lust, actually. I kept making the same mistakes, so I started therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, if you understand the mistake and you keep making them and you feel like helpless, it could be that there's an addiction there and then you'll need help. There's addiction. Addictions are wiring in the brain and they have to be rewired. And sometimes you can't just break the addiction on your own. Satyarupa says, formerly Sat, what were, you, what were you in your past life? Sat Rupa Maharaj. Yeah, formerly Sat Rupa Maharaj says, I was thinking today itself how to pray to the beads. Could you please share? Um, I could share tomorrow and read the prayers. I don't have them in front of me. Well, today I was praying to my clicker, my dear clicker, oh, greatest amongst the metal gadgets, whose sound of click-click is like ambrosia to the Japa chanter, whose numbers are like the moonbeams of light in my life. Yeah, there's no prayer like that to the clicker. Prayers to the clicker. It would be a new book, right? Okay, um, I have to remember, have to remember to bring those prayers to Tulsi, or you could Google that and see what you find. Clickers and Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram. Hare Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Well, they have electronic ones. I don't know what they call the electronic ones. Counters, counters. Yeah, maybe they You were thinking on a counters, right? Counter. If you go to a Buddhist temple, you can buy electronic counters, yeah. Anna, they told me that one should do as normal rounds on japa and extra rounds on clickers. Personally, I only have japa. Well, like maybe if you want to chant while you're driving or something. You don't want to get your beads entangled on the steering wheel and the transmission and, you know. You know, and then you crash and your beads are, you know, strangled you or something. So there may be, you know, I'm having a little fun with clickers. There may be, you know, a time and place for them. But in general, if you can chant on beads, that's the standard. <laughs> um, we're going to do an initiation on Sunday. Did you know that? On Zoom, the first Zoom initiation for me. Should I send them, should I chant on their clicker or should I chant on their beads? Hmm. We can do a play, you know, ISKCON 2080, and the gurus are sending their disciples clickers instead of beads. Clickers for mothers of small children, yeah. Guru license revoked. I thought about revoking the... I, I thought about de-initiating some devotees. You are de-initiated. You didn't follow. But uh, sometimes that can happen. The guru may have to reject a disciple. Not necessarily use a click, clicker when I go walk. That's more practical for me. You're missing the opportunity to touch Tulsi. That's and to get the mercy of Tulsi. If the disciples course, I read that Sri Prabhupada said, if you are not initiated, it's very easy to fall, and your efforts may be lost. What one should do? Well, the the problem is. The way you want to understand initiation is the acceptance of the guru in your heart and 
And once that's done, everything is good. So one should, I think Prabhupada's using, you know, also uses that term in terms of connecting with the group. And I've seen we've gone over time and there was no time for kirtan. Useful class and applicable to practical life. Thank you. Okay, I think in general, ISKCON has consciously or unconsciously pushed a shaming mentality to devotees who left and then find it too difficult to return. Yes, because of this mentality towards them in our movement. Yeah, we have to be more accepting and less judgmental. Krishna West is great. I'm so happy and thankful I became devotee here in Israel where the community is Krishna West. So helpful. Even though I love wearing saris and tilak, I don't like the people pushing me too much. I think it was it. I was a hippie in the last life. Yeah. It's possible. You're the right age. Hmm. But the reality is that not everybody likes Indian culture. I mean, not every devotee likes Indian culture or not every devotee likes everything about Indian culture. And that's okay. As long as we're following Krishna consciousness. Ah, Alaksha says, Olivia Alaksha says, I agree totally about your concept about Krishna West. Each individual needs to become aware of their current situation and decide what is the best they can do in order to advance in their spiritual life because they're going to come to that. Uh, you know, my realization was Alaksha. My realization was like, if you watch a devotee's life, those devotees are like, zoom, fanatics, you know, like, is it everything, renunciation, you know, you know, big thick tilak, big sikas, you know, big tilak on the arms, and it's just like, chatters, and you know, just like the whole nine yards, you know, they're just like, they go for it, you know, this is it, Krishna consciousness, you know. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, for those who do that, at a later point, they realize they can't maintain it. They kind of like follow their, you know, they kind of fall and they kind of go, they go like zoop, 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 and then they kind of find their place here. And so in seeing that, I think it's actually better to just kind of go like this and, you know, find your place here because this way you're still going up rather than going up, down, and back up again. And I think... I think the people who, who just take it more naturally will probably are in a better position than the ones who go... I think the ones who just go... Back to Godhead. I think they may be in a better position in the long run. I think... Those people have a greater chance of remaining in Krishna consciousness than the. than that kind of Krishna consciousness. Of course, if someone wants to go for it, you know, we're not going to say don't. But in some cases, we'll say, slow down, buddy. Come down, come down. You're not up there. Just stay here, okay? No, I want to go up there. No, get down. Stay here. You'll be better. Sometimes we do that, right? Teaching with your hands, yes. Very good. Repression usually takes us to frustration. Frustration is dangerous for us and for others, yeah. So, we're not saying, you know, be lax. We're just saying be real. And 
work from reality on your way up. Oh, I answered your question. Okay. Gintare says, Does Krishna personally participate in our material life if we ask him to help? Or is he just guiding us as Paramatma according to our karma? And all our decisions and actions are predestined. No, both. Unless we are surrendered to him. Yeah, he'll guide you everywhere. If you want the guidance, he'll give it to you. He's guiding everybody, devotee, non-devotee. And according according to questions you ask him, those are the answers you'll get. Sometimes like you know, like like Gintare, you're in you're in a situation and maybe say, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I follow this career? Should I follow that career? Should I move to another country? Um, should I get married? Should I remain single? Should I marry this guy or that guy? You know, it's like so many things. Krishna, please guide me. Yes. Because because once you're a devotee, every material decision you make affects your spiritually. So there's that you know, we don't we don't really see a distinction between material and spiritual because as a devotee it's all connected, it's all one. You know, your decision of your occupation is gonna affect your sadhana, your decision of marriage is gonna have huge effect on your life and on your Krishna consciousness, where you live and so forth. So we don't make a distinction. We see it all as one process. Can I do japa when I go for a walk? Yeah, and do as much japa as you want and as much walking as you want. Yes, Krishna Gopal. KKGP says, you have done a video on perfection. A very good one. See, I already did it. I'm ahead of the game, Kamaniya. Tanya says, in one of the Prabhupada memory videos, Malati Devi recalls how Shama Sundar Prabhu was carrying the first Jagannath deity. Srila Prabhupada came to see the progress and he saw a packet of cigarettes. And I can tell the story. And he saw a packet of cigarettes. And Anyway, but he told him, smoke one less cigarette a day. Can you do that? He said, yeah. So he smoked, smoked one less a day and like in 20 days he stopped smoking. Yeah. So these examples are really important to notice how Prabhupada dealt with it. I think woodpeckers eat worms that live inside the wood. Hmm. How does Japa work while driving? It works really well if you're driving in Arizona because there's no cars. And there's nothing but cactus. And so you're driving down the road and there's nothing. There's no signs on the road. There's no cars on the road. As far as you can look, it's just tumbleweed and cactus and mountains and you're driving down the road, and you've never been that bored in your life. You get, there's like nothing. There's no building. There's no people. It's the desert. There are not even living entities out there, and you're driving. Hare Krishna. There's nothing else to think of. Your mind is blank. Hare Krishna. Do you know, Kamini, I learned the whole seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita while driving down the highway in Arizona? Because we used to go from San Diego to Arizona to do Sankirtan, Phoenix and Tucson. And we drive, it's like 420 miles or something. And it's so desolate out there. I just put the Bhagavad Gita on the steering wheel. You think, oh, that's dangerous. There's nobody to crash into. There are no cars. You see a car every once in a while, you see a car. And if you fall off the road, you just fall into like some tumbleweed. You're fine. So I learned the whole Bhagavad Gita. So in that situation, when you're not distracted, I don't recommend chanting while you're driving unless you're not distracted. 
This Lester from Peru says, How can I understand that my Catholic parents are my teachers because every time they put me in situations that could raise or lower me in seconds? That um, that you're going to have to answer. You're going to have to ask yourself that question. What what can I learn from what they're how they're dealing with me? And see what comes up with you come up with. And I'm trying to I'm trying to get out of here because I have so much to do. And um, okay, we got a we have a thank you for this class. That means the class is over and there's no time for kirtan. <laughs> No time for Kirtan. All we can say is, You can say I'm a dreamer. I dream of five deities in every home. And everyone chanting Krishna, and the whole world will become Bhakunta soon. Okay, that's what you get for today, musically. That was the bridge to the song Imagine, in case you didn't know. Srila Prabhupada Kijay. So tomorrow we're going to talk about balance. And I think I would like to talk about the balance like that's going on inside of us that create the imbalance that could create all kinds of problems. And we have talked about the imbalance within us, but particularly in, in, in regards to racism and prejudice and bias and bigotry and all that, what imbalances within us add to that? I really want to meditate on that. Hare Krishna, everyone. Thank you for joining. It's nice to see you all, and we'll see you tomorrow, hopefully. And you get to learn Russian tomorrow because it's going to be translated in Russian. Hare Krishna. Jai Prabhupada.